The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Good afternoon, everyone. It's your boy Dan Silio here on the brand new National Football Show here on Jacob Media. What a day to, like, kick this bad puppy off. The National Football League draft. Okay, this is where optimism, this is where dreams. I've been fortunate enough to be on both sides of the mic here, where I've been covering the sport now for around 27 years, and I happen to have had a cup of coffee in the National Football League. I know this process. Just like with any job application, when you're looking at the NFL draft, they're looking for reasons not to draft you, not to hire you, just like any employer. What separates this guy versus that guy is what gets you in the first round, what gets you an opportunity to play on a great team. Now, look, you're just not going to hear me talking all for the next two hours here on the new National Football Show. We're going to have Jimmy Johnson on with us, the guy who created the draft chart value for players. This is how he built the Dallas Cowboys. This is how he made that dynasty. Quite frankly, this is how Jimmy got to Canton, was with this chart, and how he implemented that chart when it came to the, the ability for him to build and look beyond just the first and second round. We'll talk to Randy Cross, the owner of three Super Bowl rings, who's plugged in with CBS Sports when it comes to college football. He played on arguably one of the greatest dynasties also, that great 49er dynasty that won all those championships under Bill Walsh and Carmen Policy. He'll give you behind the scenes a little bit on how that thing was built. And we'll talk to our great friend, Phil Sims, who's actually at a camp right now, talking to some potential kids who are looking to go on and play college football and play the position of quarterback. Phil's a dear friend of us. Obviously, you know him from his time when he was at the New York Giants and currently with CBS Sports sitting on the deck next to Boomer. You know, as I said, this is a day of optimism, the NFL draft. This is a day we're going to find out what teams are going to get better with benchmark guys and what teams are not going to get better with benchmark guys? You know, we all know this. Certain companies know how to do hiring. Some companies don't. There's no difference than that when it comes to pro football teams. Some guys get it. Some guys don't. Look, here, for instance, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's use the Steelers here as an example. The Pittsburgh Steelers have had three head football coaches since 1969. The last time... 
Seriously, the last time they made a decision, we put a guy on the moon, and his name was Neil Armstrong when they hired Chuck Noll. They've only had three Hall of Fame coaches. Chuck Noll, Bill Cowher, and soon-to-be Mike Tomlin, who's going to Canton also. Why is that important? Stability. Value of your draft. Developing players. Developing coaches. Having a culture in the building. These knee-jerk people that have all these moves that they've made in the offseason, folks, anybody that has made at least five or six moves in the offseason traditionally aren't going to have really good years. Remember the Eagles a couple of years back when they brought in guys like Nandi Asamoah and Vince Young and all them dudes? Joe Banner ended up getting blown out because you brought all those guys in. You had a 9-7 year, and what ended up happening after that? You blew out Andy Reid. Then you ended up what? Losing. And you can't bring in hired guns to build a football team. The only way you build is through the core of the draft. Finding core dudes. What do you think set up the Tampa Bay Buccaneers forever when it came during that great run of Tony Dungy and then off to John Gruden? Dude, they drafted guys like John Lynch. They drafted guys like Warren Sapp. They drafted Derek Brooks. What's really funny about that, those last two that I just mentioned were drafted in the same draft by Rich McKay and that great front office that they had. I mean, Jerry Angelo was in that front office, and that was the core group of guys that they built that football team around. And then they ended up getting work done. They ended up making some great core group decisions on how you build a football team. Look at the teams that are in the NFL right now that are stable teams. They're usually the teams that really had some good luck at the quarterback position. Let's not forget something about Seattle here. As we go into the draft, Pete Carroll, his first time around between the Jets and New England, I mean, he was a decent quarterback. Then he ends up going where? He ends up going to Southern Cal, learned how to communicate, learned how to talk to players, learned how to evaluate the college guys. And then what happened? He goes to Seattle, and he gets lucky in the latter rounds. I think it was the third round with Russell Wilson. Before you know it, Russell Wilson's never had a losing season, has won two NFC championships, got a Super Bowl in a yard away from having two Super Bowls, and that whole culture was changed because they had a rookie on a third-round contract. What does that mean? Those guys were able to go out, and those guys were able to develop the other side of the football without spending a boatload of money on the roster. Same scenario played out. That's why I'm saying this draft today, you're going to have to get lucky. Look at what happened the Patriots way. Okay. Let's just go here. And by the way, tonight, what we're going to find out about Bill Belichick, we're going to find out whether or not Bill sees himself as a coach that's going past 70, or we're going to figure out if Bill's going to make that move. There's a reported deal on the table right now for Jimmy Garoppolo between the 49ers and the New England Patriots. What is why is that important? Well, you know, we know the story. Tom Brady went up to his dad and he went to Bob Kraft and says, get this guy's ass out of here. What's funny about that? They're both represented by Don Yee, Brady's agent. And Brady didn't want him around. And Belichick wanted him to be the heir apparent. So what did he do? He calls up his buddy, John Lynch, sends him to San Francisco for a second rounder. And how funny would that be that the Patriots may end up getting back that second rounder? Because initially, and I do think the 49ers, Right now, I think they're in a very tough situation because they got to determine this. Man, I've got a ready-made roster right now. Do I draft a quarterback at number three 
And do I move on a guy from a guy in Jimmy Garoppolo who's 22 and eight? However, he's missed 53% of his football game since he's been in San Francisco. That means he's missing half the games. How can you build a game plan around that? You can't. You can't build a game plan around that. What you do is you build you build up a scenario where you're going to be so inconsistent. Remember some Kyle Shanahan has not had great success without Jimmy Garoppolo. This guy needs a single caller in there. So are you going to bring in a guy like Mac Jones, the Alabama quarterback? Are you going to bring in Trey Lance? By the way, Trey Lance, I had to go on YouTube, guys, to look at some of the highlights of him. I, I never saw him play a football game in my life. Zach Wilson, the kid who was projected to go to the Jets in number two pick, I don't know. I saw him against Coastal Carolina. I watched him against, you know, San Diego State. I was thinking to myself, okay, well, guess what? I'm not that impressed with the guy. And, and, and always know this. You know these pro days? They're jokes. These pro days are jokes. How would you like to have the environment set up for you to do this? Okay, I'm at my home building, on my home field, throwing to my receivers, and everything is generic. Dude, I want to be able to put this kid in an uncomfortable situation because that's what the NFL is. It's uncomfortable. That's why the greatest coaches on game day, friends, okay, are the adjusters, the guys who know how to go into the halftime and make halftime adjustments, personnel-wise and also when it comes to scheme. What are they doing? What's That's why they always go over situations in New England. So you've got to have players on your roster that are what? smart. You know, I hear people talking draft all the time and they come from it from such a different angle. And most of the dopes that talk about it, give you these dummy mock drafts and all this. Hey, quite frankly, they start with usually the wrong place. Well, this guy's really athletic. I don't care if he's athletic. If I'm talking about you and you're a projected first or second or third rounder, duh, that's like thanking me for not robbing a bank. You're supposed to be that guy if we're talking drafting you in the NFL. You're supposed to be a great player. You're supposed to be an athlete. Don't tell me what I already know. Tell me what I don't know about these kids tonight. Tell me what I don't know. Here, let's do this. Name me the most athletic quarterback that has won a Super Bowl. Let me think. Huh. Russell Wilson, okay? Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's also accurate and led the NFL in touchdown passes. Has he not? He has. Steve Young, okay? Pretty athletic. Well, let me, let me name you the other guys that couldn't jump over a ruler. You ready? Terry Bradshaw won four of them. You think Bradshaw was some sort of high hurdler? How about Joe Montana? Really? Did you look at Joe as going, no, that's a gifted athlete. By the way, most of these guys that come out of college, look at Brady. Have you ever seen Brady's like combine picture or that video? I think Brady ran the 40 in a sundial. I had somebody the other day tell me Justin Fields ran a 4-4. I went, I don't care. What's that got to do with playing the quarterback position? 4-4, who cares? And I'll get into him here in a minute. Who cares? Well, he's got a really strong arm. Do you really think Brady had a strong arm coming out of Michigan? Lloyd Carr, the then coach of Michigan, he didn't even believe in Brady. They were trying to give the job to guys like Drew Hansen and some of those other stiffs they had at Michigan. 
And Brady, what, started like the last seven games. The team went 12-1. and one. They won the Orange Bowl. And before you know it, you had guys doing this. You know, he's kind of good. And let's not forget something about the Patriots. They missed on that dude five times, too. And I'm taking him in the sixth round. Okay, I mean, hey, you know, they got him. But they weren't sure on him, too, in the first five picks of that year's particular draft. My point is, you think Peyton Manning could jump over a ruler? Okay? You think Ben Roethlisberger is some sort of, like, sprinter? These guys are all guys who don't have and possess all the things that we're talking about with combine. God, oh, the guy's got a great arm. Man, he's just a strong guy. He's 245, and I'm like, Joe Montana was a braille dude coming out of Notre Dame. Okay? You missed the point. You have to be smart. We'll talk to Jimmy Johnson about that at the bottom of the hour. And we're going to get his thoughts on how you look at it. Jimmy will flat out tell you, and I was fortunate enough to have played for Coach Johnson. And Coach Johnson loves guys in the weight room. He loves guys that love the game. He loves guys that are committed to the game. You see them game balls I have behind me here? He gave me every single one of them. Because you know why? He knew I was in the weight room. He knew that I had that intangible, that I had no plan B. If you have a plan B, you don't have a plan A. That's what this draft is all about, finding those dudes. I heard Trevor Lawrence say something the other day. Football doesn't define me. I don't know about you, son, but if it doesn't define you, as you get into the game and you're not prepared 100% to be vested in it, the game will eat you up. It ate me up. I didn't make it for a long period of time. I played seven professional years in numerous leagues. But the reason that I didn't make it in the NFL was because, well, I didn't know how to be a professional. I didn't know showing up on time. All these guys that I see that go into this NFL draft, you know what? It's not just about kissing cheerleaders and cash and paychecks. This is all about going in and being focused and laser focused. When you get this call, and I'm fortunate enough to get this call, how'd you like to be an NFL player? Holy criminy. All my dreams and everything that came true in that moment when I got that call from Rich McKay and Jerry Angelo to join the Buccaneers. as a 56 player taken as a junior. I was like, this is crazy. I got my NFL helmet, put it under my arm. Man, I couldn't tell you how great that whole thing was. What a moment, man. These players are all going to feel that tonight when you get that call. And these players are like, you know, for, you know what the first thing you think? I know fans, it's really great. Okay, I love the fact because of COVID-19, everybody's now getting a chance to go to like draft bars and draft parties and get to do it at people's homes now. You know, we get to have a great time. It's going to be in Cleveland, heartland of America. That's all great. This is why we need this thing. But, dude, when you're sitting around and you get that call and you pick that phone up, first thing you start thinking about is your family, the people who helped you get to that point, the people who invested in you, the people who loved you when no one was watching and there were no spotlights on you. It's an emotional moment for people. It's not just about getting drafted to that city and being welcomed into that community. You see, when you're in that position 
and you get a chance to do all those fabulous things, all your dreams come true, and you get that NFL helmet. I'll never forget, I'm sitting down. They handed me my NFL helmet. Welcome to the NFL. And there was my buck helmet. Some would say, the bucks? I'd look at you and go, how many helmets you have put under your arm? And you look up and you're like, God dang, I'm here. These players tonight are going to feel all that, man. It's a moment. It's like, you know, I was talking to my guy as we went on. He's got 100 million things moving and going a mile a minute. It's exactly what it's like when you get into the NFL. It's a mile a minute. And tonight you're you're going to be happy. Maybe some will be disappointed. But if you get the call, it's not where you drafted. It's what you do when you get drafted. As I said for the fans, this is optimism. And, you know, we're going to be talking about cruddy teams tonight. You know, we usually during the regular season – don't talk about crummy teams. We're talking Jags. You ready? Jags. The Jets. Jets suck. I mean, really. Every time I hear Jet fan guy, take flight. You mean crash and burn, right? Take flight, Jets? Since when? Namath? You wrecked his ass, too. Joe Namath is like the only quarterback that Jet fan can ever go back to. Why is that? Even, even with a... Losing record, and he has more interceptions and touchdowns. Joe Namath, right? Okay. First guy to throw for 4,000 yards. Won a Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, Super Bowl three. Okay, great. But they destroyed him too. Look at how he walked out of New York. Guy's got plastic knees now. And I'm to believe that Zach Wilson is going to go in there into the landfill of NFL quarterbacks, the New York Jets, and think that Woody Johnson, the owner of the team, has put together a good culture. People just don't. You know, when they say history repeats itself, it repeats itself, friends. And it does in New York every year. It doesn't matter. The Jets could draft Joe Montana, and they would still destroy him. That's why when you see a guy like Sam Darnold get an opportunity down in uh, Carolina, after what I watched Ryan Tannehill have to go through, and now Tannehill's making $30 million a year, and he's constantly in the playoffs now with that Titans team, I think Sam's probably going to go down there with Matt Rule and probably do a great job. Carson Wentz going over to Indy, of course. Take a look at the Phillies, or take a look at the Eagles, man, on how they've handled themselves. Think about what how they've handled themselves. So they let Andy Reid go. Yeah, that was a good move. Now he's a Hall of Fame coach, okay? All those conference championship games he got to, won Super Bowl with the Eagles. Now he's won one, been to two with the Chiefs. Well, you don't think that's not going to play out for both Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz, that the Eagles have inflamed and just imploded as an organization. You got too many chefs in the kitchen, man. That's why the Eagles won't go anywhere. You got an owner parachuting in. Hey, let me make a pick. Hey, it's my team. Dude, really? <laughs> let me, you know, you empower your people. You empower your people. Let them do their job. Hey, let me make a pick. Every time I hear, like, people say that the owner of the Eagles, <laughs> hey, can I make a pick? Yeah. Okay. And now you get the rock, paper, scissors, coach. Great. Uh, bang. Hey, what do you think, man? Let's do rock, paper, scissors on whether or not we're going to go deep on a seam route um, in the third quarter. That's who you have as a head coach. Rock, paper, scissors? 
Uh, I, hey, I don't know what's happened to that franchise. It's a franchise that had my running mate, Jerome Brown. And Jerome ran with Reggie White and Clyde Simmons and all them dudes. Jeff Fisher was the D-line coach. Those guys were bitches. That game green defense, I don't see it now. Getting older in the O-line, getting older in the D-line. What won that Super Bowl a couple years ago was a freaky Nick Foles and the Eagles had the combination of the best O-line and D-line in the NFL. And they got lucky with injuries in the playoffs to other teams. And that's how they won that Super Bowl, the Philly Special. Sure, okay. You beat people's asses and you beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl because you beat them up. And the Patriots took that the next year and they applied what the Eagles did to them the next year against the Rams. They beat them up. Got to be bigger in the O-line. Got to be stronger in the D-line. Okay? Now you got the Eagle guys going around. And they got their heads in running around in circles here with their heads chopped off. Jalen Hurts. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. Jalen Hurts. Now, maybe I'm wrong. You know, I've seen college coaches wrong before. We saw Ryan Day and Urban Meyer get it wrong with Joe Burrow up in Ohio State, right? Those guys had the guy in the room. They had the guy in the room. And they let him go to LSU. And the guy becomes the first pick, wins a national championship, and he wins the Heisman Trophy. And you're like, we had the guy. And that's one thing, too, we'll talk about a little bit later on in the program. Do you recruit the school or do you recruit the player? I don't know. Name me one quarterback in 132 years of Ohio State football that's been a big-time quarterback in the NFL. Name me one. Mike Tomczak? Kirk Krenzel? Is that his name? I don't care, really. Let me think. Give me one guy from Ohio State. Who? Terrell Pryor? No, that's right. They moved him to wideout. Can you name me one guy that ever played at Ohio State? Arch Schleister. Sure. I think he's still in the can for writing bad checks. I don't know. The point is, I'm the believe that Justin Fields now is the guy that people – are looking at and are going to take him third, and that's where the 49ers are going. Justin Fields, in my opinion, will be a National Football League bust, and here's why. Okay, I watched him in the Northwestern game. He sucked. Okay, in the championship game, Big Ten title game, he stunk. I watched him against Indiana. He threw three picks. They had a pretty good defense, but it's Indiana. I watched him in the Final Four game, and he stunk there too. I mean, winning has to matter. Playing against big-time opponents has to matter, okay? I don't see it with the kid. They told me he ran a 4-4 in the combines. I went, who cares? You think Tom Brady could run a 5-6 today? I don't know. You think Peyton Manning was fast? You think Dan Marino was fast? You think any of those big-time guns and them big-time arms could run a 40-yard dash under five flat? Come on, man. Those guys were all great quarterbacks. They understood the position. They were smart. The Wonderlick test matters at that position. Maybe not so much at any other part when you're evaluating a kid. But, dude, you have got to have a smart dude. You know, it's funny. Bill Walsh told me this years ago when I was in the Bay Area doing radio. I said, Bill, this 
man, Montana and these guys have really a great – he goes, tells me already you don't know what you're talking about with quarterbacks. I was like, okay, help me then. He's like, it's in the feet, man. The great quarterbacks get back to their seven and their three-strat drops so that they can process all the intel that they see, safety back, corner up. They're going to play man coverage or they're going to play zone coverage. They're going to jam the receivers at the line of scrimmage. Maybe I have to audible off and maybe I have to slide a guy down into the slot position, or maybe I'm going to go out to flank on my, my running back and I'm going to have an auxiliary pass. You've got to be able to process all that. You see, the difference in college football versus the NFL, they tell you where to throw the ball in college football. NFL, you got to know where to throw it. That's why what separates Brady from being any <laughs> – what separates Tom Brady from being the quarterback that he is. Watch this. Brady's not the best athlete. He doesn't possess the greatest arm. He's been durable outside of one year, got injured. But what's been his biggest thing? Tom Brady knows every single position on the field, including his own team, their responsibilities, where they are, and where the open guy is. Do you know how much study work and like homework that is constantly looking at? That's why when he was with New England, that's why you'd see different personnel settings every single game. You'd see a guy run for 200 yards one week, right, for the Patriots, and next week that guy's not active because Brady would go to Belichick and say, and Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, and he would do this. All right, here's the personnel grouping that I think is going to be able to be a factor in this game against the Steelers. One of the th reasons that they were able to go after people and do great things when it came to beating the Steelers all the time. What was the biggest thing? They had the tight end sets. They had Aaron Hernandez and they had Gronk. That two, that double tight end set was going to wreak havoc. Then Aaron Hernandez obviously turned out to be a toolbox. And what else happened? The Steelers ended up getting a guy like Ryan Shazier in there. God forbid what happened to him getting paralyzed. But he could play the run, he could play the slot, and he could play the seam. He killed Gronk. And then he ends up getting paralyzed. Patriots own the Steelers after that. If you look down the history of that, Steelers have never been the same. Never been the same since on defense, since they lost Ryan Shazier. I mean, you play kind of a Tampa 2 kind of coverage, and you've got to have a guy like Derek Brooks there that can play the slot, play the seam, and also play the run. Being versatile like that is so difficult. So, again, full circle here, the guys tonight – it's not about, well, this guy's the best player available. Does that guy fit the scheme? Does that guy fit what I'm looking for? Am I getting value at that pick? You see, the football team that you're building today and what you've been doing in the offseason, it, 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 it's, it's all about putting the chess pieces on the board in their rifle positions. You can have – how many teams have you seen where you just have a roster and you hear people do this? It's a great roster. Okay, sounds like a great roster. Is the coach able – you see this in Cleveland. Kevin Stefanski finally put all those pieces together. And when Odell Beckham wasn't part of that equation, they were more fluid in their approach. Give the ball to Chubb. Give the ball to Kareem Hunt, right? That's how those guys were able – to turn the page. And Baker knew, I can't throw this team to success.
but I can throw it out of success. He's not a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. That's going to throw his team out of trouble. He's going to throw his team in trouble. So what did they start doing in the second half of the season after the second quarter poll of the season? They started running the ball more. They started being more effective there by running the ball. So again, as I say tonight, we're going to talk in a couple minutes with one of the greatest architects of all time. Okay, when it comes to building a football team, we'll talk to him. And I'm just going to tell you, make no mistake about it. Jimmy knows when we're talking about putting a football team together, okay, finding the right pieces, his value chart, all of that is what really built that Dallas Cowboy franchise into being what they were. Because coach would find these guys and he would find them in the latter rounds. He took guys that were already there, like Nate Newton and Mark Tune and he drafted a guy like Mark Stabnoski. Then he ended up getting Tony, Tony Tolbert on the other side. He made some free agent moves. Obviously, the biggest move was the Herschel Walker move. And that story is iconic. Coach Johnson used to have this um, – he used to have this run that his team – his uh, coaches would go on. And he would talk about his team on this run. It was a 12 o'clock run. And Jimmy would get his entire coaching staff, Dave Wanstead, Butch Davis, all these guys. And Jimmy would talk about the team. And they would go on this run and they would go on this team and on this run and they would talk about it. On that run, one particular day, Jimmy looked over at Dave Wanstead and says, hey, man, um, what do you think of me potentially trading Herschel Walker away? So inside of that run, that's how the Dallas Cowboys started their iconic climb back out of the cellar. And Coach Johnson said, my number one asset, let's not forget something about Herschel during that time. Herschel Walker during that time, okay, Herschel had gained like 1,500 yards, I think, the previous season. And he had like 750 yards receiving. Herschel was one of the best versatile backs in the game at that time. He was a pro bowler, an all-pro guy, and they were not going to go anywhere with just having Herschel Walker on that football team. So coach took his number one asset, and he ended up, well, he ended up getting trade chips. He needed to find a dance partner, and he found it in Minnesota. Do you know that every single one of those draft choices that Coach Johnson made a – Move to not one of those Minnesota Viking guys ever played, um, ever played for the Dallas Cowboys. Not one of those guys ever played. And Jimmy wanted the picks. He just didn't want to go and he just didn't want to get the football team and have the football team sit there and labor with a great player on a bad team. He needed to get the football team moving in the right direction. You know, that's one of the big misnomers, too, that everyone always has, is that people always think that, you know, <laughs> that Jerry had some say in this. The Charles Haley deal was another one of Jimmy's great genius moves. Charles Haley and George Seifert did not get along. And I've talked to Ed DeBartolo numerous times about this. And – 
he said it was one of the biggest mistakes that he ever made next to the Montana deal and allowing Joe to go to Kansas City was allowing Charles Haley to go to the Dallas Cowboys. Ed DeBartolo has told me numerous times on my show that, you know, you sit there and um, getting him was the game changer. So tonight, again, just with everything here, tonight will be how these football teams have to try to find core dudes, a core group of guys that are going to be game-changing players. Now, they could be the first pick, Trevor Lawrence, who I think is going to be one of the absolute great players in the National Football League. I, I think this kid's probably the best talent that I've seen come out of college at that position in a long time. My only question with Trevor would be this. He's never been really put in an uncomfortable situation or he's never been really put in a moment where he's been challenged. He's been challenged in certain games, but when you go to a team like the Jags, you're not going to have that talent that you had around you. Um, okay. You're not going to have that talent around you that you had at Clemson. The talent around you at Clemson is Again, you've got numerous first-rounders. When you're in Jacksonville, same thing with Urban Meyer. You're going to be going, and you're going to be, without a question, you're going to be around some not very good football players. You're going to be around players that, quite frankly, are players that are going to be lesser. Are you going to be able to handle the losing? You see, Trevor Lawrence has not had to handle losing before. And for that matter, Urban Meyer, too has not had to handle when it comes to losing ball games. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. I mean, hey, you get a guy there's there's no there, there's no getting around it. The reason that the reason that Urban Meyer took this job, there's two reasons that Meyer took this job. And by the way, he consulted with coach Johnson on this thing too as well. Um it's because he's getting an opportunity and, you know, he, he talked to coach and he was able to get, without a doubt, um, you know, Jimmy's feedback. And this is why Urban Meyer took the job. I want to bring in Jimmy Johnson right now with us here. And, uh, coach, I look forward to seeing you again. Again, look, I got my footballs behind me that you gave me, coach, for all my games. Oh, I got you. <laughs> And your championship ring, everything else, Dan. <laughs> Absolutely, Coach. I got all my game balls and all the stuff behind me. I was so thankful that you were able to find time for us. Hey, Coach, you know, I, I want to get into the first question with you here on the on the draft. Do you think the draft is as important today as it was back when you were making selections? Because free agency now, you can plug holes now with teams now. Guys are 27. They're not 37 like free agents that you had to deal with. Yeah, and Dan, I, I think the, the draft is still the way you build your football team. Uh, I actually think coaching is more important today than what it was uh, many years ago because with free agency we, and with the, uh, you know, the salary cap and the roster size, you know, a lot of times you have to, you know, bring in players during the year. You have to teach your free agents in a hurry, you know, how to – you know, fit into your system. So I think the, the best teachers 
uh, are the best coaches right now. And so I think coaching is really important, but you still build your football team through the draft. Free agency, if, if you go and, and, and you try to build through free agency, you know, it's going to cost too much money. Your low salaried players are the rookies or the young players. Just like when we won uh, both Super Bowls, we were the youngest team in the league. And people said, well, you didn't have a salary cap back then. Well, we were the youngest team in the league, but also we were the lowest paid team in the league because we had so many young players. Coach, you know, I, I, I've been saying this about the Steelers, and I think this kind of goes down your line here. I mean, they've had three head football coaches since 1969. I mean, Bill Coward, I mean, Mike Tomlin, who's going to go to the Hall of Fame, and obviously Chuck No. But the thing that I love about Pittsburgh and what Kevin Colbert and Neil Donahue used to be back in the day, their GM, was that they reinvested in players. You never really see them go out in the open market and you never see them really do anything in free agency. And this was something that you did. You invested in your guys, and you re-upped your guys, and it was all about how you were so good with this value chart. I mean, finding the right guys, Coach. Pittsburgh, in my opinion, they do the best job at really developing players. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, important, Dan, you know, that you do develop your players. Uh, You've got to be patient with them because, you know, they're not going to come in as rookies and – and really wow you unless uh, somebody like Fitzpatrick, you know, did after the trade with the Dolphins, Uh, you know, so, you know, they have to grow into your system. And again, just like I said before, you have to be good teachers. You know, you really have to teach these players how to become professionals. You know, coach, I was telling people that when you made that deal and I I told them behind the scenes a little bit, because coach wants that told me this, because, Coach, you guys got to remember, Coach Johnson has this noon run back in the day, and he would take his coaching staff on this noon run. And I used to see guys down at Miami like Gary Stevens and all these guys. They're laboring. Tony Weiss is laboring <laughs> behind. And Coach goes, come on, we're running. Right. And Dave told me one one day you decided you're on a run, and all of a sudden you look over at Wanstead. Hey, what do you think if I trade Herschel Walker away? <laughs> and everybody in the run went. Everybody's silent. Nobody said anything. And that's really the essence of how the Cowboy dynasty was built just on that moment, right? Well, you know, the thing about it, you know, when we went to the Cowboys, I was in shock because as great a coach as Tom Landry was, he's one of the greatest of all time. You know, they had had three straight losing seasons uh, and they were three and 13 when we went there. And the reason why they had losing seasons is they didn't have, you know, enough talent. And, you know, really the only player that we had that anybody wanted uh, was Herschel Walker. And so that's why I said, you know, we we can't just take the best player available. That's not going to work for us. We're going to have to jumpstart it. So that's why we made so many trades. We made 51 trades in five years. And, you know, no other team in the league even came close to that. You know, because teams didn't trade that much back then. But by trading a lot of picks and trading players, I was able to build up, you know, the roster and bring in some young, talented players. And you mentioned the value chart. That really helped me, Dan. I, you know, I, my first draft, I actually drafted four academic All-Americans, uh, Troy Aikman, Daryl Johnston, Mark Stepnoski, and Tony Tolbert. All four of them went to the Pro Bowl. They were smart players. But it helped me. I, you know, I, I made a trade in the, the very – uh, the second round, you know, I was going to take Daryl Johnston, but, you know, Daryl, I didn't want to take him with the top pick in the second round. So I traded and traded with Al Davis and Tex Ram looked at me and said, 
we don't even talk to Al Davis. What are you doing trading with him? I said, you know, I said, I don't want to take Daryl up there top of the second round. I wanted to make a trade. So I made a bunch of trades. And then after, after that draft, I went to Jerry. I said, Jerry, you know, listen, I, I think I did a good job. As it turned out, you know, I did, you know, get a bunch of pro bowlers. But I, I said, you know, I think there's a better way to do it. If we will go to the league office, they will give us every pick-for-pick pick trade that's been made over the last 10 years. And we can do a value chart, and I can do a line graph, and I can put a, a, a number, a numerical number on, on the, every pick and through the 12 rounds at that time. And it'll help me when I make those trades. Well, after that year, I would have my chart in front of me, and I would call somebody. Like, for instance, when we traded up to get Emmett Smith, you know, I was going to go from, I think, you know, uh, 19 to 17 or, or 14, something, whatever it was. And, you know, I, I told uh, Pittsburgh, I said, hey, listen, no, we'll kick in our three if you'll swap uh, ones with us. And, you know, and they've got to make a decision here in a couple of minutes. I've got that chart right in front of me. I knew what the value was. And so I was able to make trades like that. Well, that worked great for years until – Wanstead goes to Chicago. North Turner goes to Washington. <laughs> they took my chart with them. <laughs> so now everybody's got the chart. Urban Meyer called me the other night. He said, I'm I'm sitting right here staring at your chart because people are wanting to make trades. <laughs> Everything's got that chart now. <laughs> you know what though, Coach? I you know, I, you bring up Urban Meyer and I've had a conversation with Pete Carroll about this. I think Pete Carroll became a better coach when he went back to USC because he had the thing that you did. You went out all over the country looking for players all over the United States for the play to play at the University of Miami. Some of the guys wouldn't end up coming down to Miami, but you knew who they were. Maybe they weren't the tallest guys. Maybe they weren't the fastest 40, but you knew they had the two things you loved, how to be a gym rat, how to love the game. You had to be smart. Right. And when I see Carol and I see what he did and what I know what you did, you think that's going to be an advantage for Urban Meyer having gone around and recruited all these guys? Without question. And I told Urban that uh, on one of our conversations. I said, you know, you know these players. You've been in their homes. You know their parents. You know what kind of upbringing they had. You know, and so you know their background. You know, that's going to give you a big advantage in drafting these players. And even players that you didn't recruit or you didn't coach, you coached against them. Just for instance, you know, I remember uh, – a little 245-pound offensive guard that we converted to center, blocking you, Dan, <laughs> when Pittsburgh played us. And I said, man, how in the world is Stepnowski blocking Cilio? You know, <laughs> I said, I better draft him. <laughs> I, said, I said, Tony Wise, can you make a 245-pound offensive guard into a center? And, you know, Tony, maybe the best offensive line coach I've ever seen, uh, he said, yeah, I'll convert him to center. But, you know, going back to what I said, Urban knows these players. He's seen them. He's coached against them. You know, he's recruited them. And so that'll give him an advantage for a couple of years. You know, Coach, I'll tell you a story about Stepnoski. We were, we, were, uh, we were scrimmaging the Raiders, and he was just getting killed because guys would line up, head up on him, and he didn't know how to snap the ball. Right. And he came, he goes like this. He goes, man, I've never played the position. I go – Trust me, you're in the hands with Tony Weiss. These guys are not going to put you in this position if you're not going to be able to win at this position. And, Coach, one of the things that you're great at, it's not just the first and second round. 
you were able to find guys and ladder rounds and guys right. that you knew were going to be able to plug in. How important was that for you finding the guys in the ladder rounds? Because, Coach, the first rounds, you know, I mean, yeah. those are the star players, but most of the rosters in the NFL are made up from three down. Yeah, well, Leon Lett in the uh, seventh round, you know, uh, Larry Brown. Larry was about yeah. a 12th round pick, yeah. MVP in the Super Bowl. Uh, so we were able to pick up some good players in the in the late rounds. Eric Williams, who should have been a, you know, should have been a Hall of Famer if he hadn't had the, the car accident, you know, but a Pro Bowler, you know, third round from Central the State of Ohio, and then, you know, of course Stepnoski, you know, in the third round. Uh, so we were able to pick up some pretty good players, even with the Dolphins. You know, we got uh, the MVP, uh, defensive MVP of the league, Hall of Famer Jason Taylor in the third round. Zach Thomas in the fifth round, uh, you know, so yeah, being able to pick up some of those players in the later rounds, you know, really helped. Sertan, you know, we, yeah. you know, we picked him up, Sam Madison, on and on. Hey, Coach, I saw on your Twitter page, you, in a, you, you got it very unconventionally. You got your uh, Hall of Fame jacket. I mean, yeah. and yeah. you know what? I, 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 I told some, somebody asked me, they go, what do you think of that? I go, first thing he's thinking about are all the assistant coaches that have ever in his entire life been around him, going all the way back to Iowa State, Johnny Majors and all them dudes, you know, Oklahoma, and then thinking about all the players that you've ever coached uh, in your career. Did Is that kind of where it went in your family, obviously, too, Coach? Yeah, yeah. Actually, when David Baker, you know, when he came out on the, the Fox set, we had 35 million people watching us because it was a playoff game, Seattle and Green Bay. And he kind of he surprised me because I was – expecting to be talking about the coverage for Seattle. Uh, but when he came out, the very first words out of my mouth that I, when I could talk uh, was, you know, I said, yeah, I just appreciate all the assistant coaches because I've had great assistant coaches and all the great players because those assistant coaches and those players, they're the ones that put me into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You know, Coach, two last questions here for you here. You know, I, I was also – watching you and you were with Troy Aikman and I tweeted at Troy and I said this to Troy because you had you had kind of like spilled the beans to me a couple months earlier that you were going to have him present you at the Hall right. of Fame and I said to Troy I go you're the hardest player that coach Johnson's ever coached and he went like this to me why do you say that I go well you said no to him at Oklahoma State right. you said no to him when we were trying to get you to transfer down to Miami, you went to UCLA after we broke your leg in Norman. I had to throw that in, Coach. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then I and then I go, and then you two guys did not see eye to eye. And I want to tell you this, Coach. We went to dinner one night at the steakhouse there, and um, at, at our first training camp. And he goes, "He drafted your boy. He drafted your boy, um, uh, Steve, Steve Walsh." Walsh. And yeah. I went like this: If you think Coach Johnson gives a rat's ass about anything but winning. This guy doesn't care about anything but winning, man. He's so laser focused. Dude, 90% of this team that you see today will not be here, including me. I go, he's just not that guy. He goes, well, he drafted his boy. I go, hey, I wouldn't look at it that way, Troy. And I said, Troy, you're the hardest guy. And he's like, I never looked at it that way. And I go, yeah, but now you're presenting him. I go, man, I got to tell you, your relationship with Troy Aikman has come so far, coach, because – from where it started, where I was there in the first camp to where you guys are today, 
Troy's taking his shirt off down in Almorada. I'm right. sitting there watching you guys just pile around with 50, 50 pound tunas. I'm going, what the hell's going on? These guys are boys now. It's quite a story, isn't it? Yeah, it, yeah, that crew, you know, Troy and Juan Stetton Wise and North Turner and Rich Darrymple, uh, Butch Davis, and they all came down. Uh, Bruce Mays. Week. Yeah, they were all down. And I took them out on the boat. We had a great time. Uh, but yeah, you know, you know, Troy didn't realize I drafted Steve Walsh, you know, for trade value. And I ended up trading him for a one, two, and a three uh, to the New Orleans Saints. And and so I, I knew that quarterbacks, you know, are valuable. Just like a year ago, uh, I was on uh, Colin Cowherd's show, and I, and I said he was talking about the draft. And a year ago at this time, about a week earlier, I said, you know, if I was Detroit, I would, you know, trade out of that spot and get get a bunch of picks or – I would take a quarterback, take you know, Herbert, and you know if he would have taken Herbert, you know, Detroit, uh, then look where they would be now. But I just got ripped, you know, for saying, "Hey, how in the world can you say take Herbert? We've got Matthew Stafford. Well, what do they have now? If they had listened to me a year ago, they would have taken a quarterback." They would have had their franchise quarterback, and they could have traded Stafford. But that's what I did with Walsh. I, you know, I, even though Troy was our guy, you know, I wanted to, you know, get Steve Walsh. I knew he was valuable. We got picks for him, but that's how we built up the picks. Well, Coach, I'm going to leave you with this story. So we're running our 16 110s, and <laughs> my daughter you, asked me, "Did you finish those 110? No, no. I, I, my daughter asked me, "Did I ever finish Coach Johnson's 110s?" I said, "The most I ever did, I did 14 of them in Dallas." And she's like, "This." She goes, "They're that hard." I go, "Hardest test I ever had." I go, let me tell you a story. There was a guy that Jimmy Johnson drafted. I think he was a third-round tight end. I won't say his name because I don't want to embarrass the guy. The guy goes, Coach. Coach, I got asthma. Jimmy goes, asthma? That asthma field's over there. <laughs> hey, Danny, the funniest ones were when I had Russell Maryland was weighing about 320 pounds and Cortez Kennedy, he was about 320 pounds. And I said, we're going to run 16 110s. You're only going to have 10 seconds of rest in between each one. Oh, man. <laughs> we ran them for about a week before I finally said, okay, enough running. Let's get to practice. Coach, those refrigerators on your back when you're running them things, man. Me and Jerome used to go, I ain't making this, man. This thing ain't happening. Coach, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. I'm going to try to get down to the fishing tournament this okay. year. And I hope to see you down there. All right, Dan. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Have a good show. You bet it. That is Jimmy Johnson. And uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely phenomenal time, man. Just a really phenomenal time. So, hey, no question about it. Coach Johnson's value chart was one of the most important things that you could possibly have. All right. Hey, really appreciate it. We'll take a quick time out here. And I'll tell you why I'm not going with Justin Fields at number three if you're the Niners. Three years later, they fired their Super Bowl-winning head coach. They traded the highest-paid QB in franchise history. And they traded down in the 2021 NFL Draft. What does it all mean now? Find out during the draft from the premier Philadelphia Eagles reporter, Derek Gunn. Watch, listen to Draft Takes with Derek Gunn across the Jacob Media Network, YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. 
light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Sprinkler Fitters Local 692 represents a storied history and heritage of steam fitters, plumbers, and gas fitters dating back to the late 1800s and continues today to thrive into the 21st century. Local 692 is a highly trained group of skilled individuals. Local 692 represents the Philadelphia building trains and provides excellence completing the job on time under budget. Local 692, a proud member of the Philadelphia Union community, Wayne Miller, business manager. Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. Welcome back to the National Football Show. It was great catching up with Coach Johnson. Hope you're enjoying the debut of the first show. Really proud to do this. By the way, a little bit later on in the program, three-time Super Bowl champion Randy Cross will join us as well. He now works with CBS Sports. We'll talk to him a little bit after the hour and get his thoughts on how he sees the upcoming NFL draft tonight. Also, Phil Sims will be with us in the next hour from CBS Sports. We will talk to him on how he sees the quarterbacks and we'll rank and we will we'll put in order what we think happens. Now, you know, one of the things that I always get asked on a Monday after an NFL draft, which for the record is the dumbest stuff. I know there's a market out there for this stuff, but guys, these guys that are getting drafted tonight, they're not even going to have an NFL helmet. They're not even going to have a mouthpiece. How the hell do you know who did well in the draft on a Monday? Now, can you talk about who address needs? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
That's what the NFL draft is about, is addressing needs. Some organizations don't get that. But when you go like this, ah, oh, the Cardinals or the Eagles had a B, you're like, come on, man. That's barbershop talk. I talk to you in reality here. I don't know. Takes three years to evaluate a talent, okay? Just like three games is a trend. That's what NFL teams do. They take the last three games of every football game, and they look at the last three games, and those are trends. You think they go back 15, 20 years and look at what it – no one cares. No one cares. Three games for a game plan that you're going to put together for that particular Thursday, uh, Sunday, or Monday. <laughs> or, again, when you're looking at a player, why do you think the average career in the NFL is three years? Because that's how usually how long it takes for a personnel department to figure out whether or not you're a guy that's going to move on from three years or whether or not you're a guy that's going to be cut and never play again. The average career in the NFL is three years. It's designed like that. It's designed like that. Wait, if you play three years, that's the average. Okay, right. Okay, fourth year, that means you get vested. The NFL has to invest in you with their pension plan. They, they have to sign you to another contract. That's why most teams move on from players after three. You ever think to tie that in? Yeah, again, guys with pens and notepads, they don't see it that way. They just look at a guy, this guy was great in college. Holy crap, how come he bombed in the NFL? Well, there's a bunch of reasons why. You know, I, I, I learned this too. It is where you drafted. I, I, I mentioned um, a couple minutes ago about the Jets. Who wants to go to the Jets? Nobody wants to go to the Jets. Who wants to go to the Jags? Now, maybe Urban Meyer is going to change the culture. Maybe. Maybe. The Jags' culture has been this. Every time they get a decent player, what do they do? They jettison them because they can't afford them or they're cheap. And what is really crazy, the owner, Khan, is one of the richest guys in the league, and he doesn't reinvest in his guys. Something I mentioned with Jimmy Johnson a couple minutes ago is what makes the Pittsburgh Steelers one of the greatest franchises is because they do invest in their guys. <laughs> I mean, common sense. It leads me to Justin Fields. I mentioned it earlier. I don't know. Okay, great. Played at Ohio State. So what? He's a quarterback from Ohio State. Like a couple years after the Civil War, they started playing football in Columbus. They've never had a quarterback, but this dude's the guy. See, when you're a personnel department, you're trying to you're trying to run away from potential failure. How do you do that? You play the averages. Now, do you miss out on guys like Jerry Rice, Mississippi Valley State, or Texas A&I, Daryl Green? Those type of dudes. Do you miss out Khalil Mack, Buffalo? Yeah. But my department is going to be more so right 70% of the time when I'm picking kids to come play for me than I am versus taking these flyers on schools you never heard of. Like this North Dakota State kid, Trey Lance. Okay. Like I said, I had a look on YouTube for the dude and for his highlights. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't, I don't see any highlights. So I'm like, all right, man. <laughs> right. I, I, I didn't see any highlights. I'm just not a believer in Justin Fields. Okay. I, I just not a believer 
in it. I just, I, I, I just don't see it. Now, I want to hit a little bit up on Tom Brady, and I'm going to do this at the top of the hour. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Um, I want to hit up on the Eagles a little bit more too. Can they turn this mud pie? I don't know. Pick one. Just disaster, cesspool, whatever has happened over the last three years. I'll tell you, I don't know if I've ever seen a football team. But then again, the Atlanta Falcons haven't been good since they had that 28 to nothing lead over the Patriots. They've actually imploded too, right? But the Eagles have just imploded from the top down, not from the bottom up. So, I mean, I want to hit on that a little bit too because, man, it's just – it just absolutely makes no sense there where they're going in that direction. And like I said, too, the big story coming out as we were going on the air is Aaron Rodgers reportedly now doesn't want to go back to the Packers. I think they've treated that guy like crap, too. And it doesn't make sense. Why would you treat that dude not like he is your most prized asset? He's 26 and 6 over the last two years. And he put an MVP together, and he's been to two straight conference title games. But you're pissing him off. All right. We're going to hit on all that on the other side. You keep it pinned right here on the National Football Show. Three years later, they fired their Super Bowl-winning head coach. They traded the highest-paid QB in franchise history. And they traded down in the 2021 NFL Draft. What does it all mean now? Find out during the draft from the premier Philadelphia Eagles reporter, Derek Gunn. Watch, listen to Draft Takes with Derek Gunn across the Jacob Media Network, YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Sprinkler Fitters Local 692 represents a storied history and heritage of steam fitters, plumbers, and gas fitters dating back to the late 1800s and continues today to thrive into the 21st century. Local 692 is a highly trained group of skilled individuals. Local 692 represents the Philadelphia building trades and provides excellence completing the job on time under budget. Local 692, a proud member of the Philadelphia Union community, Wayne Miller, business manager. 
Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. National Football League show with your boy Silio. Jimmy Johnson was in the first hour. Hopefully you get an opportunity to take a listen to that. This hour, we'll have Randy Cross and Phil Sims. And we'll talk to both those men. Both Super Bowl champions and absolutely phenomenal analysts. So we'll talk to them and get their thoughts on tonight's NFL draft. You know, the Green Bay Packers have 10 picks tonight. There's not 10 dudes that they'll pick that will make that roster. I, I, I just mentioned it in the last uh, time out here that the Green Bay Packers are 26-6 and six over the last two years. They've been to two straight conference title games. They've got the reigning MVP on that team. You think they got 10 players that are going to come out of the draft and make that roster? Hey, remember something. Making an NFL roster, you got a better chance of being an astronaut than you do playing in the National Football League or even getting selected in the NFL draft. These are the one percenters, man, playing college football every year. One percenters. And you think – and the guys that are already on the roster, those guys are like even bigger than that. There's not 10 dudes. You're going to – you could transform your entire draft tonight if you're the Packers. Now, there's a story going around now, and I've been saying this the whole time. You know, I know I get killed on social media all the time. By the way, if you want to go over to my Twitter page, at Dan Cilio Show, you can see people calling me whatever because I hear a lot of things out there. As you can tell, I talk to a lot of folks all the time. And this isn't the this is the time of misinformation as you get ready to play into the NFL draft tonight. You know, I, I always give the analogy that, you know, every time you hear like a hockey injury, you know, well, this guy's got a lower injury uh, to a lower extremity. Now he's probably got a concussion or he hurt his wrist. They try to send you away as far away from the injury as possible so guys don't target it. Well, that's how it works in the NFL draft. You start talking about a guy or a position that you're looking at, that's why sometimes NFL teams will send scouts and they'll send scouts to recruit somebody or look at somebody They have no intention of drafting so that, get this, the other organizations go, oh, he was working out a cornerback from LSU. When they're really looking at going after a quarterback. Here, that could be being played out now. All right, let's, before I get to Aaron Rodgers and Brady in the box and Randy Cross here in a couple minutes, let, let, let me throw something at you here tonight. 
everybody and all talking heads are saying that the 49ers, because they moved up, are going to take a quarterback at number three. I just told you that this is the land of misinformation. There's not a guy in the draft, except for Trevor Lawrence, that I would do this. You think there's a guy that's coming out of the college ranks that is better than Jimmy Garoppolo? Anybody that you draft at number three will be a check down from him. So you're actually hiring a guy that's lesser of a talent. Now, why are they even thinking this? Well, I mentioned it in the last hour. 53% of the time he's been in San Francisco, he's missed games. You miss games like that and you, you know, you can't put game plans around a guy like that. Garoppolo is a guy that, quite frankly, just can't stay healthy. So durability and reliability, that's part of the equation when you're putting a game plan together and you're also constructing a roster. And Jimmy Garoppolo, well, <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo is not somebody that is consistent enough. This guy plays like eight games a year. Okay. But anybody you draft is going to be a lesser player. The guy is 22-8. and eight. And when he did play a full season, what happened? He went to a Super Bowl, won an NFC championship. I don't know. You know, do you play the law averages? Now, here's something else at San Francisco, because this is, I believe that they're in a, in a pickle here tonight. Damn, do we draft a guy and do we do this? So we keep Garoppolo on the roster. Say he gets hurt in the first quarter poll of the season. That's four games. Man, you put that guy in the open market. He goes from a second rounder, which you could possibly get for him right now, to zero. This is and let me let me let me play another scenario out for you. Why this is critical. And I know John Lynch knows this story. Back a couple of years back, uh, maybe what, God, 20 years. The Chargers had to make a decision on Drew Brees. Okay. A.J. Smith was the general manager of the Chargers, and Breeze and Phillip Rivers were on the team. They had drafted Phillip Rivers. Breeze went to a Pro Bowl. People don't remember, but Breeze was a Pro Bowl player. Okay? He was a Pro Bowl player with the Chargers. So they end up, they end up going, and they end up playing Breeze. Breeze gets hurt. They got nothing for him. They got absolutely nothing for him. So tonight, I want to talk to one of my favorite 49ers of all time. That's my man, Randy Cross, three-time Super Bowl champion, college football Hall of Famer, works with CBS Sports. And, hey, brother, how you doing? Appreciate you coming aboard the National Football Show, man. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it, man. Hey, I just mentioned Garoppolo. I think John Lynch is in a pickle right here. Here's why. Any guy that he drafts at number three, He's not a better player than Garoppolo. Garoppolo's missed 53% of his games as a 49er. I think is the only reason, Randy, that they're even talking. Just look, just being around the organization, give me your sense tonight. I mean, they go quarterback at three? Well, I mean, when you talk about Garoppolo, Dan, you, you can't forget for all the ability he has throwing it, what he's done in the past, two years ago, he's a Super Bowl. Um it's about availability and he's had problems before that and he's had problems since the Super Bowl. And, you know, it's just the least one of those places. If you're not available, you know, they're going to find somebody to replace you. And, and that's what he's facing right now. And, 
it's nothing personal. It's one of those, it's only business kind of things. And and normally you'd say, well, gosh, the guy got us a Super Bowl two years ago. We got to stay in pack. You know, John Lynch has got a team in the Niners right now that most people, I believe, that really look at it honestly, would have them in their top four saying that's, this is a potential Super Bowl team if they don't have injuries. Hell, they got, they've almost got a Pro Bowl squad coming off IR. So, yeah, I, this is all about getting somebody for right now that can that can manage this team. Because I really think if the three, they go quarterback, not long after that, that phone's lighting up and Garoppolo will get a chance to play somewhere else. You know, and, and Randy, I was just saying, too, before I brought you on, you know, I, I was bringing up the comparison with Breeze and with Rivers. You know, A.J. Smith, the then general manager of the team, was battling it out with Marty Schottenheimer, and that's why Marty got fired at 14-2 and two, is because he wanted to keep Breeze. They play him in that final game against Kansas City. He blows his arm out. You know, they end up getting absolutely nothing for him. So, I mean – it's one thing to go into the year with a rookie quarterback and having Garoppolo, but man, this guy has proven if he get he's going to get hurt. Do you trade him before you even start the 2021 season? If you're John Lynch. Yeah. yeah. You're probably, you're probably hesitant to that, but there's plenty of value. I think to him right now, it's, it's a little bit different than the Atlanta situation. Cause you look at Matt Ryan and Matt's probably got four or five years maybe two or three really good years left so if you draft somebody um and he sits there for a year you still got a guy that can play for a couple of years you just don't know with jimmy g i love the guy i love watching him um it's just it business kind of works that way absolutely so Randy, let me move on to the draft here you know it's funny i i, I look at all these quarterbacks that everybody's telling me I'm going, okay, I saw Zach Wilson against Coastal Carolina. I was like, okay, you know, a couple picks in that game. I watched him against San Diego State. Okay, I mean, wasn't really spectacular. I watched him at a pro day. I'm like, that's a generic setup thing for him where it's the most obnoxious thing you can have. You've got your favorite boys that you're throwing the ball to. It's in your home field. I mean, <laughs> when you're in the NFL, everything is uncomfortable. Everything that is – going to face you is uncomfortable. So the pro days, I don't know, man. I look at Justin Fields and I go, okay, against Indiana, he had three picks. Northwestern, he stunk. Um, in the final four, he wasn't spectacular. Trey Lance, I had to go, Randy, on YouTube to find plays of the kid. And that's no disrespect to him. I, I just haven't – I'd be lying if I said, oh, yeah, I've seen every game. The kid, I've never seen one game yeah. that the kids – how do you look at these guys? Well, I mean, Lance also has some pretty gaudy numbers that you look at, you know, and it is FCS, 28 touchdowns, no interceptions, 1,100 yards rushing, 14 touchdowns um, in his last full season. He's got all the tools. He really does. Uh, of all these guys everyone's talking about, that's the guy that needs to go to a place that's got a veteran quarterback that he can learn behind. Because if he's got these talents that he would appear to have, and he's got the right kind of coaches around him. And you know, that's that's everything. The reason the reason this this whole draft's a crapshoot and 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 really honestly, a top 10 quarterback is a 50-50 proposition 
is because of the people that are around him. Who's his OC? Who's his head coach? You know, what kind of organization is he in? Do they have an offensive line? Because most of these teams that draft high to get these good quarterbacks, ask Joe Burrow. They get you killed. You get you get hit all the time. It's a tough, tough road to hoe. Um, and that's another part of what makes, I think, the Niners kind of different there sitting at three because of the kind of team that they're sitting on. Nobody else in that, in that top tier of the draft this year, at least, has got that kind of a team that they could potentially draw to. I mean, a little piece of me, a little piece of me, looking at this draft, Dan, was going, you know, how about Pitts with George yeah. Kittle and Kyle Shanahan's offense with Jimmy G, getting a veteran backup, all those toys they have, they stay healthy. Williams, McGlinchey, I mean, they've got – a damn powerful offense. And if you added a, a toy like that, there's no telling what they could do. But, you know, this isn't this isn't fantasy football. But uh, sometimes, you know, with the with the social media being what it is, it turns into it half the time. You know, you're the you're the perfect person to ask this to because you were there. And I've said this before about what Bill Walsh did with Mc, 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 McVeigh and all them guys there. Eddie DeBartolo, then Carmen came in. You find Steve Young. I think it was a third-round draft choice they gave the Bucks to bring him in as the heir apparent. Well, that thing led to five Super Bowls between those two men, okay? When I look at Green Bay, and now prior to what's going on here, Aaron Rodgers is saying now he doesn't want to go back. He's been crapped on or whatever. He's felt disrespected. Last 30 years – you got three Super Bowl appearances with Favre and Rodgers. And I always go back because you guys are the gold standard on how you went from one dude to another dude, but one, and there was no drop-off in that. I, I, I just look at Green Bay. They got 10 picks tonight. I think those two guys, I mean, look, I think Aaron Rodgers, I think he's underachieved in Green Bay. Or do you think it's the organization or do you think it's both? Um, I would go more towards organization and team that has been put around him. I mean, he's got some good toys. Um, the line's been okay. Defense has been okay at times. Other times it's been pretty strong. But, you know, he's been very similar to me. The way I look at him is Russell Wilson, where everybody in that locker room says, you know what? It, what we do matters. But if you have a really good game, we're going to win this. So you're going to you're going to basically carry us. And you know, sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. He, he gets them pretty far. I I think the right people around him, he's even better. But uh, you know, I I don't know. I getting off that horse is going to be pretty darn hard to hard to rationalize. I'll be honest with you. I I think it's worth making up and sending flowers to the uh, set of Jeopardy. Dude, I'm with you. I, I I don't get the animosity here. Hey, look, you know, Coach, I mean, Eddie DeBartolo has told me numerous times there were two things that he regretted big time was getting rid of Haley and letting Joe go to KC. He says those two things, man, he goes, he regrets those things. You know, he says, I, you know, I told Joe he could start if he wanted. Joe said it's already been buried. I'm leaving. I'm going. And there was animosity there, Carmen and all the other backstories mm -hmm. that went there and you know, those were the biggest things here. But for the life of me, Randy, I mean, every year it just seems that I could have found Aaron Rodgers right now. Now that the Packers don't even want to give him a contract extension, 
I'm here going like this. Okay. So now they're giving me the coach talk, patting me on the head, telling me that I'm their guy. They love me. And for the foreseeable future, that's a lawyer's conversation. When, when I heard the GM say that, and he goes, well, for the foreseeable future, he's our guy. That's a lawyer's answer. Okay. I mean, when, when you see Dak Prescott get $42 million, dude, that's my guy because you opened up your wallet and said, that's my guy. NFL guys aren't stupid. Why do you, is it because there's no owner in Green Bay that they have this like animosity? No, I, I don't think so, Dan. I, I think anybody in management, you know, you get Pat, you start talking about third and fourth contracts. You're, yeah. Yeah, you're treading, yeah. you're treading on some thin ice as far as what's what's possibly going to happen, and and that's when you start just chewing on some serious cap numbers. If if something does happen to the guy you extend, is it is it smart football wise? I think you make the argument that no, but business wise, I, I'm sure on a spreadsheet it makes a hell of a lot more sense than it does on tape. All right, let me a couple more questions here for you. Tell me if I'm off base when I say this about Justin Fields. I look at him, and by the way, Randy works for CBS Sports, so he's seen a boatload of these guys. And I'm going to – I brought this up the other day. Someone asked me, do you, do you recruit the school sales or do you recruit the kid? I said, depends. In 131 years of Ohio State football, there's never been one Ohio State quarterback ever, ever in the history of the school. Mike Tomzak, I don't know, Arch Leister, back in art. I mean, I don't know. That has never been a star. Some would go, so you think it's the school. I go, I'm just saying this. Outside of the Namath years in Alabama, the, I mean, you know, I mean, quite frankly, ever since Richard Todd and them, Tua, I don't know. Look at USC. Who's the quarterback that they've ever produced? Carson Palmer? Okay. Kind of fair. Rodney Pete? No disrespect. Pat Hayden? No disrespect, but we're not talking about like juggernaut schools that produce that position. Those schools like SC produce O-line, D-line, linebackers, cornerbacks, athletic guys. Am I wrong to hold that against Justin Fields and the fact that he plays with so many gifted guys on that team that those windows are wide open, Randy, and you know this in college. They tell you where to throw the ball. In the NFL, you got to know where to throw the ball and those windows and barn doors become portholes. I don't know. I see the kid, and I just don't see it. Am I wrong? Um, well, I would tell you to look at the college football playoff games um, a little closer. He was pretty impressive in those games. Um, I, I, you know, I really think it's kind of what's your flavor, what's your taste, what kind of quarterback do you want? Um, you get them on the board, you know, the stuff that we don't see, Dan, we don't see the interviews, right? We don't, we don't see the time that the guys at the chalkboard or whiteboard and they're drawing stuff up or they're just throwing stuff up at them and giving them terminology here, draw this, draw this. What's your, you know, here's the play. What do you read? What's your sequence? You know, where are your receivers? Right. Um, that type of thing and how everything's processed. And I think that's that those are things that people value very, very highly. I've heard very, very little personally bad about Justin Fields. Very, very little. And I think that whole, you know, medicated epilepsy, possibly, you know, no my favorite. Oh, no, my, my favorite reply to that was from Alan Fanica. 
the guy's going in the Hall of Fame. He goes, hey, I dealt with that my whole career. Me you too. Know, so I'm, you know, so no big deal. I, you know, it's, so I, I, I think it's, you know, I, it's, it's really kind of unfair. That, but it's not wrong to hold it against him. I think my first instinct when I looked at it was, let me see, let's go back. Who are the Urban Meyer and we'll go Ryan Day? Who are the quarterbacks that have really done something after they've played for those guys? Alex Smith at Utah. You know, God bless him. Great, great at one of the greatest stories in the NFL last year with a comeback he had. And he was pretty damn good. Another good example of a really good young quarterback that got the dog doo-doo beat out of him because he wasn't on a very good team. Um, you know, so I, I, I like Justin Fields. I think the Niners would be very, very justified to get him at three, or if not that, the, the Falcons taking him at four. See, my, my one last thing here, Mike, my, my problem with Ohio State also, so Ryan Day and Urban Meyer – had the guy, and they had Joe Burrow. They had the guy, and then they said, no, uh, the kid Fields and uh, Dwayne Haskins, he they're better than him. And I'm like, wait a minute. You had the guy. He's from Ohio. He goes to LSU. He wins the national title. He wins the Heisman, and he's the number one pick. And when I watch him, I do this. I think the Bengals have something here. You had yeah. the guy, and you just went like this. Well, he's not the guy. That makes me question their evaluating of that position. Yeah, don't 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 discount either the amount that Justin Fields has improved over his college, just his college career, because the Justin Fields you saw at UGA that was getting put in and out of games, and he was running the ball a lot, and he's throwing a little bit. When he went to, when he went to Ohio State. He got a master's course from Ryan Day on football. And he's really, really improved. So I, I think that's one thing you have to consider when you start looking at upsides. This isn't a guy that was lighting it up early in college because he really wasn't. But when he got to Ohio State, he got in that system. You know, if, he, if you're going to draft him, you got to run stuff that he was successful with at Ohio State. We know we've both been around long enough to know that that hasn't always been true. <laughs> the quarterback, you come in, you get under center, and you run our stuff or you don't play. Well, not anymore. That's not how it works. And there's guys wearing Super Bowl rings, you know, to prove you can do that with young quarterbacks now. Absolutely. I think that's why one of the great transitions now from college to pro has been a little bit easier for some of these quarterbacks because they're doing what you just said. Instead of putting that square peg in a round hole, they're looking at what they're drafting now. Randy, I appreciate you doing this, brother. Thank you so much. For coming aboard, man. Thank you. Anytime, Dan. Hey, congratulations on the new gig. I'm happy for you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Right, Randy man. Cross, Talk man. You. you got it. The owner of three Super Bowls and the guy who uh, was there watching the 49ers being built. Okay. I, I've told Randy this numerous times. You know, watching him play on that football team. Back in the day, and then getting a chance to play, I played against Joe Montana, and I've I've put up a uh, a picture of me sacking Montana, uh, my Twitter page at Dan Silio Show, and um, it, it, just having him tell us how the Bartolo handled the constructing of the organization, how you know John McVeigh, people always you know want to give you know. Um, 
Carmen Policy, all the credit for building that dynasty. It really wasn't Carmen Policy. It was a guy by the name of John McVeigh. He was the former head football coach of the New York Giants back in the day. And yes, he is the grandfather of Sean McVeigh. And um, make no mistake about it, it, you know, he was there when they were getting guys in the third round, making draft choices for guys that they would send picks to like to Tampa Bay to get Steve Young with a third rounder, finding Randy Cross in a ladder round. How about this one here? How do you find Jerry Rice at Mississippi Valley State? I don't even, I'm assuming Mississippi Valley State, not, not that I was a, a geography major at the University of Miami, but I'm assuming it's in Mississippi, <laughs> right? I'm assuming it's in Mississippi. And yeah, quick story there. Bill Watts told me this story when they're talking about evaluating guys that you see that are going to be evaluated in tonight's draft. They were going, get this, Bill Walsh was the head football coach at Stanford. Then he gets the job uh, with the 49ers. And they go looking, I think it was after the Blue Bonnet Bowl. There used to be a bowl game called the Blue Bonnet Bowl. And they were going to this all-star game. And they go down there with the 49ers, and they're looking at this receiver from Pittsburgh called Rooster Jones. Okay, so they go down there looking at this guy. All of a sudden, Walsh watches this guy. Who's this guy catching the ball? By the way, you know what he ran at his combine? 4A. 4A. You know who that guy is? It's Jerry Rice. Bill Walsh is watching this guy. Who is this guy? And some of the uh, scouts were going, hey, it's Jerry Rice. He went to Mississippi Valley State. He's not very fast. He loved his hands, though. Goes to a pro day, this and that. They kept going. So Rooster runs like a 4-5 or something. And this guy was the most athletic guy there. And Bill Walsh goes like this. Hmm. I'm going to draft Rice. Everybody in the room went, you're going to draft that dude? Billy ran a 4-8. Okay, well. And I played against Jerry Rice. If you think that guy ran a 4-8 on a football field, if you ever watch clips of Jerry Rice, Jerry Rice is leaving people. Have you ever seen Jerry Rice caught from behind? Have you ever seen Jerry Rice, like somebody get an angle tackle on him? Jerry Rice was the greatest offensive weapon in the history of the NFL. This guy's got 200 touchdowns. Like the second closest guy's got like 140 or something. Every He's like the Wayne Gretzky of receiving when it comes to records on receptions and yards and TDs. This guy's a mystery. And figure this out. You know, someone would go, oh, Jim Brown's the greatest. Okay, you can make the argument. But Jim Brown got the ball 28 times he touched it. 28 times. Rice, what was it, six times a game? He made that 200, 200 touchdowns. 200 touchdowns, averaging, touching the ball six times a game. I don't know about you, but that guy's productive. And he ran a crappy 40-yard dash. He was not highly thought of going into that draft. I think his first year, too, he had 900 yards. It wasn't anything where people were going. And then you know what Walsh did? 
Walsh decided to put the offense and create an offense that made it convenient for him to run the legendary slant route. And you never saw Rice ever again, ever again, ever, ever get caught from behind. I think the only time he may have ever got caught behind is when he got hurt in the Tampa game down at Raymond James. I think maybe that's the only time that he got hurt. And uh, that was kind of like the beginning of the end for Rice and his speed. But, yeah, I mean, there is no doubt about it that when you look at the draft tonight, it's not always about the metrics and what you see in the, like, uh, the combines, the numbers. You know, you, you've got to, what, what Jimmy Johnson said in the first hour, you've got to sit and talk to the kid. You've got to sit and you've got to get to know the kid. I think that is one of the most important things is sitting down and getting a chance to talk to the guy. What what makes the guy roll? What makes the guy work? What makes the guy the guy that got him in front of you? Because remember something, you know, all those other intangibles that Randy Cross and I just talked about, well, the guy's really good, he's improving, it's all great. Well, guess what? That's a given. That's a given that you are in front of me because you are a quality prospect. Okay? Got a quality prospect in front of me? Okay? You're there for a reason. So don't thank me again for not robbing the bank. I mean, right? Don't thank me again for not robbing the bank. You've got to you what what makes this guy tick? What makes this guy the player that I want to draft and make him part of my franchise? See, to me, it goes further into combines. It goes more into the tape. It goes into what Jimmy Johnson said in the first hour. You know, the interview, do you love the game? Are you constantly going to be the first guy in the building, the last guy? You know, all those cliches that you hear are true. You know, the chalk stuff that coaches write on a chalkboard. It's true, though, especially at that position, because, hey, look, you get all the cash, you get all the credit, and you get all the heat when you're the starting quarterback on a football team, okay? That is without a doubt, okay? Now, look, I want, I, I, I want to hit on Tom Brady and the Bucks, And one of the things for me, okay, about Tom Brady and the Bucks this year, they're doing something right now that I just absolutely love. You see all these teams doing all this crazy movement, talking, going into the draft, finding guys. The Bucs have already won the offseason. Okay? <laughs> all right? He, he, he is – there is no question the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, all right, have won the offseason already. They've won it. By the way, just to give you an update on Phil Sims, we're having some internet issues here. Hopefully we'll be able to correct them and get Phil on. If not, we'll try to drop him on tomorrow as well. So just hang in there with me here. Um, we're working on those, so it's all good. But let me just – the Buccaneers have won. You're bringing back 22 players from last year's Super Bowl. Okay, 22. 
both your coordinators and Byron Leftwich and, and Todd Bowles, you're bringing your head football coach back. You're bringing Antonio Brown back. It's the first time since 1979 that Steeler team brought everybody back. And what happened to that Steeler team? They repeated. Jason Light, the GM, has been masterful. He can miss on every guy in this draft, but he won't because he's a good personnel guy. And the Bucs have won this thing. It's remarkable in how that franchise, what was it, 12 years that they didn't make the postseason? Year previous, they had won seven ball games. I mean, Jameis Winston was a turnover machine, 30 touchdowns, 30 picks. That's a 30 for 30 you don't want to see. And Brady rolls down in there, changes the entire freaking culture of my football team because I'm an ex-Buck, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, there are two guys that the pandemic did not injure during last year's run to a title, Tom Brady and Nick Saban. You know what they said to those pandemics, COVID-19 shots? Kiss my ass. I don't care what's in my way. We're going to win championships because we have a culture in the building. Brady brought that culture down to Tampa. Okay. What did he do? New coffee machine, new parking lot, new house, new, new sleeping arrangements in the house, new city. Hell, the first time he showed up, this guy shows up at the wrong house. Thought it was Byron Leftwich's house. He's at Davis Island down in Tampa. Guy walks into the wrong house. He goes in this place immediately. You know what he asked Jason Light for, the GM of the Bucks? Hey, dude, I'd like to have every phone number of every person that's on our roster because I want to get to know him. So Tom Brady, he calls every guy and gets a relationship going with every single guy in that locker room, calls him on the phone, talks to him. Brady's greatest asset is that he is a great teammate. Look at who he's been teammates with. Aaron Hernandez, Corey Dillon, Randy Moss, Antonio Brown. These have been considered guys that have been the TOs of locker rooms. You know, cancer's in the locker room. Not with Brady. Brady sits those dudes right next to him. These guys are my boys, man. These are my boys. And what do they do? Look at look at Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown, you know Antonio Brown now just signed a contract with the Buccaneers. He is like the highest paid kicker in the NFL. He's got a kicker's contract. Nobody was going to pay him $5 million a year. That's what he coveted. Nobody. Nobody. And by the way, for the record, he's lucky the Buccaneers are there for him because he should kiss Tom Brady's ass every single day because he's building up equity with the other NFL teams. Why do you think somebody like Seattle or Baltimore or some of these other teams didn't give AB the five million bucks a year over three years that he wanted? They don't trust him. He's not reliable. 
this guy urinated on the Raiders with Mike Mayock. Goes to, you know, to New England. Had all those issues there. They weren't going to keep him around. Not when the owner was having issues with massage parlors down in Florida. They weren't going to keep him around. They couldn't afford it, even though Brady politicianed for him. Tom Brady did some remarkable things. I am so happy that we're going to get a chance to catch up with this guy. He is one of my favorite people of all time. We've had quite a opening show. We've had Jimmy Johnson um, in the first hour. We just talked to Randy Cross. He talked all the Super Bowls, and now we bring in my friend, Phil Sims. Phil, find some time for me. How you hey, doing, brother? <laughs> I'm doing okay. I don't know if I have long, arms long enough to get away because I look better the farther away you get. <laughs> and I got to wear glasses. I had some stuff done to my eyes, uh, some little whatever issues. So uh, I have to wear glasses to kind of protect myself from looking at all these phones and blue screens and whatever. So, But I'm doing well. Good to talk to you, man. How's it going? All good, man. Hey, Phil, do you, I'll ask you the question I asked Jimmy Johnson. Do you think the draft is as important today as it was, say, back when you were drafted and the fact that free agency has become such a massive factor now in plugging holes for teams. You're, you're signing guys you know can play in the league. Good as point. you know, Phil, the NFL draft is a crapshoot. How says you on this? Well, what you just said is all true, but there's one thing that comes with NFL draft guys when you do get them. You're hoping to catch a star in many ways in any round of the draft, but also it can reduce your payroll so you can pay some of your stars uh, better. So that's why young guys, you know, when they get drafted, you really have to go to training camp or practice and almost stink it up because they want to keep all these draft picks because it reduces their salary cap, gives them a chance to keep some of the stars on the football team. So do I think the draft's important? Yes, I do. And, you know, we can get a pro bowler or a big time starter. We see it every year with late round draft picks and also and free agents every year. There's a free agent that comes in in the NFL, and he ends up starting. You go, how did this guy not even get drafted? So it tells you a lot about the talent, but it also tells you how sometimes they can be misdiagnosed for sure. Phil, before we were we came on the air, there's a report now that Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to go back. <laughs> to, what the hell? What is going on with a guy who's 26 and 6? He's an MVP. You don't want to redo his contract. You draft a guy a year ago, Phil, I don't know, man, if that were me and I had the equity that he has, I might be looking at that GM going, hey, you're telling me I'm your guy? Why don't I feel I'm your guy? Move me. I mean, this is a crazy situation. Well, I don't know where to begin. You know, Aaron Rodgers has impeccable timing, and we saw that the night of the draft, this comes out. Uh, I'm kind of waiting to hear more. Uh, yeah, I think we knew about his dissatisfaction with Green Bay. You know, the one thing about Aaron Rodgers, I think uh, you, me, I'm in the business. We all like him because he's great news all the time. But he speaks his mind, and, uh, you know, he's uh, – I, I, somebody said he's thin-skinned. Oh, I don't care. Okay, maybe if you want to put it that way. But I think he feels the fact that there was a first-round drafted quarterback that – listen, come on, Dan. That would eat me up if oh, I was him. better would. And you know, look, and when you have his power and his great ability and his and who he is as a quarterback, when you have that, you know, that just gives you more opportunities to do what he's doing now. Like, hey, I I don't like it here. I want to play somewhere else. And and you know, when you're in that position too, let's be honest. 
they don't get to the championship game if he's not the quarterback last year. People say, oh, he doesn't come through in the clutch. Hey, give me a break. Look at that game in the championship game. Tom Brady throws three interceptions. Savage dropped a, a fair punt to an interception. They give up the long touchdown before the halftime, which is really the worst defensive play of the last century. <laughs> and everybody goes, well, you know, Aaron Rodgers is inside the 10. I don't care. He played really well. But let's put it all in the quarterback. That's what it is. Quarterbacks always got to come through. Well, how about some other people coming through, too, when they're given the opportunity? How about this one, too, Phil? Jimmy Garoppolo, tell me how you'd play this out. I, I've been telling people this. Outside uh -oh. of Trevor Lawrence, there's not a dude in this draft that's a better player than Jimmy Garoppolo. He's 22-8. and eight. I get he's missed 53% of his games. Availability and durability, Phil, is always part of the equation. You and I know that. But, I mean, if you're Kyle Shanahan, you're going to draft a dude that's lesser than the dude that you're going to let go, which means guys in the locker room are going to sit around developing another guy from straight Lance, Justin Fields. Maybe it's the guy that's ready in Mac Jones, the Alabama guy. I mean, and, Phil, if I do this, if I keep him and play him and he gets hurt, we go back to the Drew Brees conversation again when Marty Schottenheimer and A.J. Smith were going, don't play Brees in the final game against the Chiefs. Don't do it. He ends up getting his uh, shoulder blown out, his arm blown out. You get nothing for him. I was How there. How the Niners play this? I was there. I did that game when Drew Brees got hurt. And uh, he was very angry that week when we talked to him because he knew his career was coming to an end in San Diego. And, uh, yeah, I didn't really know that story, that they bet, but they should not have played him. So that – uh, you know, listen, I, I disagree with it. I really believe that the 49ers look at Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, this starting record of quarterbacks, I'm just not big into that. I'm just not. There's too much involved. It's like Aaron Rodgers only won one Super Bowl. Well, they won that Super Bowl because of him, and he's leading them up there every time. So don't, I, I don't like that either. But I, I'm just going to be honest. I think these quarterbacks, I think Mac Jones is going to be – once he gets a little experience here, even in his first year, if it is him, I think he's more polished, a more consistent thrower, and actually just has a better feel in the pocket than Jimmy Garoppolo. So I, it's kind of mean or whatever. I don't like to do that, but that's how I feel. I think Garoppolo is, you know, he doesn't move around enough for me to make plays, and I just don't think he's a consistent thrower of the ball. And, you know, it's not easy for me to say that being an ex-player, had sons that played and all that. But I think it's the truth, and I think if he gets Mac Jones, that's an upgrade for the offense. He'll throw it better than Jimmy Garoppolo. And if it's Trey Lance, then we're going to see a little bit of everything. We're going to see the Kyle Shanahan offense and some new twist in there. So, um, you know, you, you'll find out too that as this goes on. We'll see where Jimmy Garoppolo goes, but I don't think there's going to be a rush of people just dying to get him. I don't think he'll find a starting job in the NFL this year. If, hmm. if the 49ers do get rid of him and um, you know, so I know it's a tough assessment, but I'm just being honest. That's how I feel. Mm -hmm. And that's what I see when I watch him on TV and I study, you know, I watch almost every game on coaches tape and I, I and his arm, I, Mac Jones is got a NFL average arm. Let's say somewhere around there, but I think it's better than Jimmy Garoppolo's too. So I'm saying all this, I hope Jimmy doesn't take it too personally. I would if I was him, but, you know, that's just really, truly how I feel. 
Two last questions for you, Phil. And by the way, I'm very impressed that you're holding this thing up like this and you're balancing it at the same time. Talking. Well, I got somebody holding my arm up. So it's oh, 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 fantastic. <laughs> Phil, you know what? I mean, guys like yourself that came from small schools, you know, I heard Trevor Lawrence say something the other day. Tell me I'm making more of it. I like guys with not chips on their shoulder, but with lumber yards on their shoulder. And I always thought you came into the Giants. And I remember talking to Robustelli about it. He goes, this guy's just the toughest dude I've ever seen. And, folks, those of you out there, Phil Sims wore a double chin strap because his <laughs> rookie year, I think, he got the bejesus knocked out of him, and he was laid out like he was a mannequin there on his back. And he wore that double chin because I was there for that. I go, this guy just got destroyed. And I always loved that that edge that you played with. Brady has an edge. Being a six-rounder, he says he's not defined by football. Should I be bugged by that, or is that just stupid talk? I think it's just him just trying to downplay who he is and whatever. You don't get to his success through his life and, and do what he has done and develop into who he is if you don't have a great desire to be great. I just can't see it. So uh, I've judged him really close. I was tough judge, judging him. And uh, really, I am in all of them because I want to be truthful when I talk about it and learn. But really, I, I, I made a comment to somebody earlier. If everything goes wrong and it doesn't work out with the team and with him, he'll still be a good, solid NFL quarterback. Because there's really nothing I can look at that says, that, that says why he won't have success. Size, mobility, great feel in the pocket, powerful arm, knows when to run. Uh, can run when he needs to, can throw rockets, throw it high. He, he has it all. He plays very tall, too. In other words, he plays – Justin Herbert plays as tall as a quarterback as I've seen in the NFL. And I'll tell you, Trevor Lawrence is the same way. They seem to be able to throw over defensive linemen where everybody else just about is throwing between them. And, you know, you can't define that quality. And – uh he just has a lot of things going for him. Is there some weaknesses? Yeah. I think at times they're throwing. He's a little erratic where, you know, in the NFL, then you know you've got to be almost a machine in today's world throwing the football as a quarterback. And if you miss three throws a game, man, and you do that like let's say every week during the year, it's going to cost you a couple games. And we see that. That's why Sean McVay is making a difference or uh, changing in, 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 with the Rams. Because Jared Goff would make a lot of good throws, but then he would miss two or three or four every game that you just go, wow, you just cannot miss that throw in the NFL nowadays. I, I, I tell people all the time, Phil, the difference between seven and nine and nine and seven or ten oh. and six, it's 25 plays a year. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's that close. Final question for you, Phil. Would you have had the success you had if you didn't land in New York? And I say that because – it does matter. I found out, you know, I play at the University of Miami. I go to a 2-14 and 14 Buccaneer team. Yeah. I mean, I tell you, I go from Jimmy Johnson, and no disrespect to your former guy, Ray, but he was coming out of college, and I'll tell you, that, that Bear Bryant mentality versus Jimmy's mentality was a whole different year for me, <laughs> and, and it was a whole different world for me there, man. I'm like, I don't even know what this guy's talking to me about. Mr. Oh. Croom in my ear and all this. I'm going, oh. all right. So, Phil, does, do you, does it matter where you land? It, it's everything. It, you know, for a quarterback, there's no position in sports that's more reliant on his teammates, the coaching staff, the front office, the owner, 
the play calling. It, it, there's so much involved. And to me, they're, you know, I'm not going to get into the names now because I took it, but there's guys that are very average talent wise who have great careers because they're always in that right situation and all that. So for just for me, yeah, being with the Giants, they were very patient with me, had a lot of rough years, got hurt, all that. Why did I get hurt? Really, I look back on my career and I just go, oh, if I was playing in today's game, I would throw a 100-game streak up there because they play different. I was taught by my coaches, stand in there. Don't you <laughs> dare move. And, you know, come on. Then, you know, you stand in there, you get run over so much. You just, it's just luck. And uh, but whatever, but it's but no, the Giants, I think, were patient. And finally, a couple times we built the team up to where we finally got to be a Super Bowl contender there for quite a few years. And you know, I sit here, we were we won two, but I think about it all the time and go, Oh my gosh, we could have won four. Oh, yeah, you know, we had that we had the team, it was there, and you know, we let it slip away. And for many reasons, you know, playing the game, something goes wrong, getting a little unlucky, there's lots of things. That could happen. Just think about Tampa Bay. Think about what I just talked about with Aaron Rodgers, the dropped interception, the jump ball that Tampa Bay wins, the touchdown before half. You know, when you win a Super Bowl, you can always find a game or two during the playoffs where the breaks went your way and you got it done when it counted in the big game. I could just hear Ray, come on, Sims. Come oh. on, Sims. <laughs> Sims, come on, Sims. Okay. Is, did George make a mistake on you? Come on, Sims. Come on, Sims. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, listen, uh, listen, between Ray Perkins and Bill Parcells, my high school coach and my college coach, who were rougher than them, uh, I, I had quite a run of uh, being under the gun, that's for sure. Would you agree, Phil, if uh, Ray had stayed in New York and stayed with that run, his coordinators, would, his coaches were Belichick. He hired Belichick. It wasn't really Parcells. It was Ray that hired him. I yeah. think it's San Diego he hired him. And yes. he hired Parcells. Do you think he would have had that type of success, or do you think Bill was just a cut different? I think after Bill survived his first year in 1983 when we were awful and, you know, we had a bad year and they kind of cleaned everything. And Bill, fortunately, got a second year because Howard Schnellenberger turned down the job. And I've talked to Howard Schnellenberger about it. He goes, oh, man, I could have coached you. And I go, I know, but you turned the job down. And uh, But Bill, from his first year to his second year, transformed into who he really is. You know, the first year he was trying to be Mr. Head Coach. Yeah. The second year, my God, it was we saw the real guy. It, it was really – it changed everybody, changed the environment big time. And that's why we that, – that's why the team changed and the franchise, uh, franchise changed really just because Bill, Bill Parcells became that Jersey guy that was always there with remarks, you know, Sims, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, what are you doing? Are you watching the same game I'm watching? I mean, listen, now I know you laugh. He talked to quarterback. He talked to me like I was the water boy. And, <laughs> and you know, he could get on Lawrence too. And, but, but that's, it was really interesting. I, no matter how long I live, and I followed the NFL very closely all these times, there's never been a coach like Bill Parcells that he could say things to you and it could be really rough and you could look him in the face and say something worse back to him. And he would just go, oh, you, you hate me, huh? You, you really hate me, don't you? 
you really hate me. And you just go, you just go, man, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Phil, I leave you with this. I'm, I'm in practice with Jimmy Johnson and Jimmy's doing this to me. He's like, did it. And I go, damn, why are you always in my ass about something? He looked at me and went, son, worry when I'm not in your ass. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Like this. Okay, I got it. (laughs) Hey, hey, that is great because that's you're right. Listen, if you're really into the game, you love football, you want to be coached hard. I'll never forget Bill Parcells said to me once late in his career, he goes, Man, Sims, you know, this is hard. I said, What do you mean it's hard? He goes, It's just hard to walk out there every day now and be the bad guy. And and uh, (laughs) I said, You know, Bill. You might think you've softened up a lot. I don't know, but I'm, you really haven't. So don't worry about it. Hey, Trust hey, me. So Thank it's great so being talking to you. You right. bet, man. Thank you, Phil, for doing this. I appreciate it, brother. Hey, technology, I can't believe. <laughs> so I'll see you later. Uh, Thanks, Dave. You got it, man. That is my friend, Phil Sims. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah that storyline with Jimmy Johnson, Coach Johnson, I'm. I'm in practice and we're down at Miami and I got Jerome Brown next to me and we're, we we didn't lose football games. Okay. We, we didn't. I'll tell you the story. We'll do it next. You'll keep it right here on the Cilio show. Three years later, they fired their Super Bowl winning head coach. They traded the highest paid QB in franchise history. And they traded down in a 2021 NFL draft. What does it all mean now? Find out during the draft from the premier Philadelphia Eagles reporter, Derek Gunn. Watch, listen to Draft Takes with Derek Gunn across the Jacob Media Network, YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. The light from a star can take millions of years to reach Earth. So when you look at a star, you're looking back in time. But I see the future. I see exploration and courage. I see my country finding new horizons out there. And I see giant leaps making a comeback. I see myself. The future is where I'll make history. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Sprinkler Fitters Local 692 represents a storied history and heritage of steam fitters, plumbers, and gas fitters dating back to the late 1800s and continues today to thrive into the 21st century. Local 692 is a highly trained group of skilled individuals. Local 692 represents the Philadelphia building trades and provides excellence completing the job on time under budget. Local 692, a proud member of the Philadelphia Union community, Wayne Miller, business manager. 
Connecticut School of Broadcasting is now the CSB Media Arts Center, training in all that is media, including the nation's most successful broadcast training program with professional media experts whose entire mission is to get you career ready in just 8 or 16 weeks. Train on-site and online at our local campus in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. VA approved. CSB Media Arts Center. Visit GoCSB.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods, your vacation, your way. National Football Show with boy Dan Silio. Okay, so Jimmy Johnson, Randy Cross, and Phil Sims. As you can see, Phil Sims can talk forever. <laughs> he could have kept it for five hours. Just loves talking about football. That's what you're going to get with Phil Sims, and I love guys that have the passion for the game. Should be a great draft tonight. By the way, for tomorrow, I have to look down on my notes because people, okay, are chiming in, wanting to come on the show tomorrow. So we have Bill Romanowski tomorrow. We have Butch Davis. Now, Butch was Jimmy Johnson's defensive coordinator at both the University of Miami when they won the national championship, and he won three Super Bowls in Dallas, and he's the current FIU head football coach, um, was a former University of Miami football coach. So he knows the college guys and was in the draft room as they built that Dallas Cowboy team. And Jimmy's, and uh, I would say this to you, he recruited Russell Maryland. He recruited Cortez Kennedy. He recruited Ed Reed. He recruited Ray Lewis. Do I dare go on? So Butch is going to tell you how to look at a kid and what he sees in the NFL draft. And Joe Theismann will jump aboard with us, and we'll get Joe's thoughts on the National Football League's quarterback shuffle that should go on tonight. I really appreciate it. Hey, don't forget, if you missed any of the show, go over to Jacob Media. You can watch it again. We'll be back with you tomorrow going four to six. And you keep it pinned right here on the National Football Show with your boy, Silio. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.